Pride Podcast. In the world of transferable skills training for doctoral candidates, for the last year we've been experiencing a paradox. On one end, the constancy of our home office, and on the other, a rapid and sometimes almost chaotic move towards online training. The switch from on-site to online practice has involved a deep reflection on how to adapt our support for learning and how we present and run our training sessions. What is important to our own practice? What do we gain? And most of all, what do we lose when we shift online? And what are the solutions? My name is Ilaria Orsi and I'm head of the CUSO Transversal Programme based in Western Switzerland. In December 2020, we had a deep conversation around these three questions, and in this podcast, we'll discuss what came up. With me are Verity Elston, head of career advice for the University of Lausanne's graduate campus. She both organizes the workshop program for doctoral candidates and postdocs and gives workshop herself. Hello, Laria. Hi, Verity. And with me, there is also Maura Hannon, a trainer with the CUSO and an expert in social media and digital work communication in general. Hello, Laria. Hello, Verity. Welcome, Maura. Maura and Verity work with me in organizing and leading this conversation. We thought we'd put together this podcast because we are sure that we've experienced here in the University of Western Switzerland can speak to the experience of many of you in the Pride community. And we hope you'll get something out of this conversation. But first, let's set a little context. The CUSO Transversal Program organized transferable skill training for doctoral candidates in the four Western Swiss universities in Geneva, Lausanne, Neuchâtel and Freiburg. Our trainers are a diverse group in terms of expertise, background and practice. Because they are all external to the CUSO, we invited them to come together every other year to discuss common concerns and to help them find out more about each other and what they do. This time around, the topic of conversation was clear from the outset. We wanted to give them space to express how they felt about the shift from on-site to online to hear about their experience of going online once the universities took the decision to close their campuses, what they enjoyed, what they missed, and what support could they use going forward. Some were enthusiastic about the change, others were more reticent, all were very keen to engage in what turned out to be a very rich exchange of ideas and experiences. We all hope we can get our doctoral candidates and trainers back into classrooms as soon as it's safe for everyone. But we also recognize that there's much to be learned about and a lot of advantages too, online training. So once things do go back to normal, what we will take with us 
So, Maura and Verity, let's begin. What for you were some of the big issues that came up in the discussion? Thanks, Ilaria. As you just mentioned in your introduction, many trainers have discovered lots of positives with moving online. No early morning travel time means we can spend a little bit more time in bed, which is always a nice way to start the day. But we know, make no mistake, working online is different and there are simply some limitations to the number of elements that we can take from a face-to-face experience over to the virtual, given the current technical limitations that we have anyway at the moment. So we started by asking trainers what they missed about being in a face-to-face environment and they had lots and lots of things to say. And their answers were clustered around three main themes. The first theme was that trainers long for that sense of the concrete. They miss the sensory, this three-dimensional and very human interaction experience. And they have some questions about what effect that that has on their workshop outcomes. For example, trainers said they missed feeling and sensing the energy of a person and a group, that many participants experience a sense of stage fright or they're very, very polite online, which can be at the expense of developing a group experience or a group atmosphere. And sometimes that group atmosphere or feeling can be a very exciting and positive force within a workshop environment. And for many, that's missing what's difficult to develop. We can see online, we can hear online, but we can't smell. And missing the smell of coffee and croissants during coffee breaks came up time and time again as something that trains missed. Probably this is that metaphor for group connection, that really important uh, group forming stage that you need to create that workshop dynamic. Another element that trainers talked about is the loss of sound, actually, that participants mostly mute their mics in virtual meetings, which means we can see laughter, but we can't hear it. And we can't create that kind of good feeling within a a virtual meeting because we can't share that sense of laughter. And trainers said that they miss groups having permission to talk together spontaneously, that the sound of people talking together at the same time was something they really missed online. The last element in this three-dimensional theme that was missing for trainers is that trainers said they missed being able to easily read reactions and body language. Being able to scan a group and pick up those vital clues in body language about how a group is doing, how a message is being received, is the task clear to everybody and so on. Picking up reactions is a lot faster in the classroom because we rely on all of our senses for that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah, I can really agree with you there, Maura. I think what a lot of the trainers were talking about um, as well on a second theme was that idea of physicality, the physicality of classroom dynamics, the gestures, the movement, the creation of a collective public space. 
-hmm. physically moving around a room can really have a subtle but very powerful influence in changing group dynamics and changing perspectives of on the part of different participants and when we don't have that online um, we we end up with a very physically grounded uh, experience that's not at all the same thing uh, as trainers as well in a classroom, we can, we can really observe participants and groups as they do their work without them really being aware of it. I think we've all experienced that of you know, standing at the other end of the room and watching what's going on with different groups. Absolutely. Um, with, by contrast, you know, when you enter into a breakout room on Zoom, the, the experience is completely different. No matter how much you can try to be unobtrusive, it is plain as day to everybody in there that they are being observed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, another point that came up was the loss of the dimension to be able to really read nonverbal clues those tiny but really important gestures that really get lost, for example, because some participants have turned their camera off. They've got kids to look after, the dog that's just come in and sat on their lap, as I found recently, um, or simply because they don't have the bandwidth necessary to be able to keep their camera on all the time. So we lose that. We lose those little nonverbal clues. Mm-hmm. And we also perhaps lose those shyer participants. It can, you know, getting them into group conversations can be really challenging. And it's challenging enough within the classroom, but there with our physical presence, we can integrate them much better. I think, you know, online, it's a different experience for people and being the sense of being under the spotlight or on camera can be very stressful and confrontational at times for some participants. So this, this feeling of, of an effect on the public space, on interaction, the dynamic of the classroom that um, doesn't find its match really on, in the online setting, they all are elements that seem to have a real impact on how well trainers perceive they're doing their job. Yes, Verity, I totally agree with you. Trainers expressed many things they miss, which have bo- we have both together under the team uh, teaching opportunities outside of the formal pedagogical sequences. I mean, uh, trainers miss the social interactions during the breaks. Many of them say they have experienced participants bringing up big and sometimes very difficult or very personal issues in these informal interactions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even more, lunchtime at the cafeteria, for example, many of the conversations over lunch are an important extension of what the workshop activities are. Um, let's say that all the quieter and more private conversations within a group setting are absent when online yeah and discussing all these issues were was a very important part in our moving online many trainers say they felt relieved that they were not the only ones who had experienced some sense of loss isn't it yeah, I think so. I think it's it's also true, Ilaria, that it's not we shouldn't forget what trainers pointed out they really enjoyed about going online. 
Um, as Maura said right at the beginning, you know, not having to get up at 5 a.m., travel across the country, stay in anonymous hotels, figuring out yet another classroom's technical setup, that does have a big advantage. Um, but I think, you know, more more deeply, uh, both as program managers and as trainers, what we do appreciate about the move online is the flexibility and I think the accessibility that online training really does represent. Mm -hmm. yep. If there are issues I think that we can still address uh, to ensure that all our audiences can be part of an online format, and we're talking about bandwidth, we're talking about equipment, I think you know being able to give access to participants who are off campus on field work, for example, is a real bonus. And I saw that myself, you know, um, with participants who are dialing in from all over the world, getting that opportunity to take part in uh, workshops and training that that help them develop their skills, even as they were doing their field work, even as they were continuing on with their research rather than having to squeeze it all in when they get back onto campus for one semester. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That gives them a lot. It gives them a lot of support um, and helps them manage that support as they need it. And it goes to for those who have caring responsibilities, whether it's childcare, whether it's parents or anyone else. Um, those kinds of responsibilities and the people who are on satellite campuses as well, the people who would find it much more difficult to uh, drop into a workshop uh, just around the corner. So for all of them, there are big advantages. And I think for trainers too, I think the trainers uh, spoke about that opportunity to learn the opportunity to learn new tools and practices to really rethink um, some of their content and and get back in touch with their creative juices again. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed, yes. Maura, what for you were some of those new tools and practices that trainers were talking about? Well, I think you covered a lot of it, Verity. I, for example, have had a much more international experience in giving my workshops. I would really uh, underline that experience as well. More and more people are joining into my workshops from other countries, whether they're doing field work or they've been at home, which I think is a great opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. But for trainers, it's meant that once we do have the courage to jump into that water, and for some of us, it's been a real jump of courage, um, and you understand what the sorts of possibilities that are now open to you and the frontiers that suddenly uh, appear um, as limitless, um, it does unleash a new sense of creativity. And this change has meant we've thought about lots of new tools and new practices and ways to adapt and diversify our presentation styles to an online environment. The new modes of action and interaction offer us some more multidimensional opportunities. For example, many of us are using whiteboarding tools which offer us a new sense of online movement and stillness and interaction, which I'm not sure I would be able to go back to even if I'm in a classroom environment. We've had to think about new ways to read facial expressions and body language and find creative ways in which we can create 
formal and informal environments and check in with with participants to see how they are feeling and how we can respond to them. So being online does change up how we can organize ourselves socially, how we can interact, and it does offer us sometimes some new ways to be in groups in a plenum session or more private or anonymous individual exchanges that are sometimes not available in a classroom setting. For example, in a private chat message to a trainer, somebody can ask us a question and we can bring up this issue to the group without actually revealing who's asked the question. So there is now this level of anonymity that we can we can offer our participants, which was not actually available in a classroom environment. So there are some there are some very positives to and new opportunities that uh, just require us to be a little bit more creative and excited about mm-hmm. embracing the embracing the new. Mm-hmm. Ilaria, um, when we're talking about new tools and practices, how does that relate for you as head of the CUSO to support your to support your trainers? Oh, there was so much indeed to talk about in terms of new tools and practices. <laughs> so many trainers have the courage to experiment and try new tools and new practices. Yeah. We wanted to create a dialogue where we could share our success and, of course, our failures to develop a set of best practices. Yeah, and there was a lot, I think, on that one. Um, you know, and that begins really from the outset of uh, any workshop in setting up the right atmosphere um, with the online context. Things like clear, setting clear and mutual expectations yes. right from the beginning, yes. um, such as getting everybody to uh, verbally and explicitly agree to the conditions that we're going to work in. Um, and that can be with a slide that everybody gives a thumbs up to. Um, but asking for their interaction in that uh, in that moment, creating as well um, linked to that, creating a really safe virtual working space mm-hmm. when we can ask the participants um, to agree explicitly to confidentiality, to agree explicitly to uh, an attitude really of mutual benevolence. Um, of switching on their cameras whenever possible, um, you know, really sort of asking people to do the things that uh, we would like them to do um, and asking them to engage in uh, their agreement with that. Um, And then, you know, as we think through uh, the time of the workshop, we can see how really important it is to free up the participants um, the trainer's work becomes much more decentered. They will certainly set up the workshop. They're going to create the content. They'll decide the format. Um, but the time when the participants are actually together online is a really a time for them. Yep. Um, and the, tra- the trainer really has a role much more as a facilitator for learning. They're going to sit back. They're not going to spend a long time on presentations. 
uh, but give the floor much more to exercises, to breakout rooms, to discussions. Getting everybody to talk and to talk uh, soon within the time frame of the workshop, encouraging them to interrupt a lot more than they would do normally. Um, then doing things like, uh, you know, as, as the workshop begins, setting up a welcome coffee break uh -huh. uh, before everything starts, making time for warm up games and activities that will facilitate interaction, um, using regular breakout rooms as well, you know, really letting people know that they will have time to discuss and uh, they're really there to discuss and making sure as well that there's a nominated leader who's going to report back uh, from those discussions yeah mm -hmm. there was a lot of discussion in the workshops about this new role wasn't there that this new role for the trainer is about understanding exactly the sort of medium that they're working in and trying to establish a new rhythm and a new way of working. And a lot of the discussion was also about how we organize our workshops, how we facilitate them so that they keep moving forward and having a sense of pace and dynamism, which is not always very easy to create in an online environment. So for example, in a classroom, we're used to, for example, having a PowerPoint presentation slide, which might stay the same for about 10 minutes because the changing visual and oral element in that workshop uh, classroom environment is the trainer themselves or the discussion that happens around that slide. Whereas online, we've learned we need to really change up those visual elements and activities much, much faster so that we can keep people engaged and motivated and interacting with each other. People talked about having to adjust to this new uh, presentation format that presentation times need to be very very short interspersed with activity that participants always need to have something to do even if it's just saying here's a question please put your answers over the chat so we can discuss it but they need to be brought into that discussion and into that workshop environment and involved yep. it's online so people do need breaks and they need probably more breaks than they would normally have in a classroom. Shorter breaks, but more often we need to, to remind people to actually get up and physically move. So at the end of the day, they actually can get up from their chair, um, including us trainers, and to really look after people's eyes. Looking at screens all day can be very, very hard on people's eyes. So making sure that they do take those times to move away from their screen and have regular breaks to look after themselves. Yeah. Some trainers talked about having a second person in the workshop who can do some of those technical aspects like set up the new breakout groups or do some of those other functions that we've had to delegate at times to participants. Um, if you are alone as a trainer, lots of people discussed best practices about planning more time. You need more time to introduce a new activity. You need more time to transition between activities. You need more time to plan into your rhythm for these shorter breaks and so on. 
And one of the most interesting uh, planning functions that we talked about a lot f- was planning blocks of work offline. Mm. Normally, on a day, in a day um, in, or a two-day workshop, we see everybody all of the time, and we don't send people off to do work by themselves. So this is quite a new dynamic that we say, "Hey." We're going to work together for an hour or two hours and then you're going to go away for a few hours and work by yourself or form smaller groups with amongst yourselves. So that's a very different way of thinking about how to create uh, a workshop timing. Yeah. Um, and during that time where people are working offline, you can set up individual feedback sessions which can be very, very effective and very private. Feedback sessions for individuals in a classroom can sometimes not be very, very private and can be very stressful for people. The really fun thing that most people, most of the trainers talked about is what we're calling here in Switzerland the Netflix syndrome, Uh how to combat Netflix. Netflix syndrome. You know, that person who seems to stare blankly without blinking at yeah. the camera and yeah. doesn't even respond when you call their name. It's like, hello. Um, people who have this kind of Netflix syndrome are the ones who somehow get sucked into feeling this is a television experience and they passively watch and observe the uh, workshop from the side rather than being actively engaged. And trainers talked a lot about how to successfully counter this. And they came up with three rules. And they are interaction, interaction, (laughs) interaction. Get people talking early. Ask more questions than than you normally would. Build in symbols into your presentations that are Signals for action. For example, a microphone might mean we expect you talk here and to discuss something. You must actually participate. Or as Verity was talking about establishing ground rules at the beginning of the day, that we might do something that we don't normally do in a classroom, and that is uh, call on participants by name to start a discussion. Often we allow that kind of organic development of conversation and discussion to happen in a classroom, and it does tend to happen more spontaneously. Online, people are often very hesitant to jump in, and we need to uh, shortcut that. But the last tip that came up, which came up frequently, pardon me, was about making lots and lots and lots of smaller group activities Going back to Verity's point here about breakout groups, breakout groups, use them a lot and have someone delegated as being in charge of that um, group so that when you come back together for a plenary, you can have one person who's already prompted and primed ready to give that feedback, Mm. which were all fantastic ideas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's clear that there's a lot of work still in progress for uh, the transferable skills trainings. Let's say that we are all, we, all of us is still learning. I'm certain that uh, technology will continue its rapid evolution in this area. And uh, I'm persuaded that new uh, training techniques and approaches will continue to help in solving a lot of these uh, challenges 
But uh, yeah, let's say that uh, the work is still in progress and probably the best as uh, to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the ongoing challenges that trainers talked about is how to maintain this humanness. How do we balance this Zoom etiquette of muting our microphones to cut down ambient noise uh, and trying to invite spontaneity? Because by the time someone's unmuted their mic because they want to say something, mm. the conversation has usually moved on and the moment for that spontaneous uh, um, interjection has been lost. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do we read subtle emotions through body language when we are restricted to somebody's face, when we can't physically see how they're sitting and how they're holding themselves and how they're positioning themselves around their work or how the group is interacting as a physical entity that's very, very difficult to continue to find ways to be able to read that effectively. And so trainers are acutely aware and mentioned this many times, they are acutely aware that there were some limitations to their ability to reach out and connect with people, particularly finding ways of supporting participants with stage fright, as we've talked about, but trying to also support those who have issues which they can sense but they can't reach through the, uh, a more public uh, forum. Um, how we also uh, not force people into the spotlight who have a bit of stage fright. We don't want to force people, but we need to integrate them into the group to get them working together, and that's going to take some more reflection and creativity. Yeah, I think so. Finally, some of the trainers talked about this physical separateness also meaning that uh, as well as having an impact for trainers, it does have an impact sometimes on the behaviour of the participants. So you do sometimes encounter behaviours from participants that you wouldn't ordinarily see in a classroom. For example, someone who's clearly chatting to someone else in the room oh, who's yeah. so not engaged mm -hmm. with the content of the material and you don't want to publicly embarrass them, but how can you draw them back into the group um, and maintain your own focus when you're being very clearly distracted by what's going on on your screen? So these were really rich and deep conversations that touched all of us over the experiences that we've had for the last 12 months. And in your work, Ilaria, as head of the CUSO Transversal Program, I'm very curious as to how you will be um, working with these reflections and what you'll be doing next with them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It, let's say that it's a common and creative, very creative process. And uh, this is also because of your practices, of your suggestions and uh, of your talks. So thank you very much to all the CUSO community, trainers, participants and to you, Maureen Verity. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Ilaria. Oh, thank you, Ilaria. It's been fun. <laughs>